So the reading from the Old Testament is from Isaiah 61, verse 1, 2, 4, and 8 till 11. The year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our, Lord, of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will be rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So from verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people of the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And from the New Testament, John 1, verse 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness for the light. And then John 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back for, to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water. John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of those sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptized. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? 
Lord, as we have read uh, your written word, would you lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ? Would you speak to us through your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, um, I mentioned earlier the, the meaning of the candles uh, on the Advent wreath. Now, there are different traditions. You know, other, other traditions say one is for hope and one is for joy, uh, love and faith and so on. But the, the, most, the, the oldest tradition is the tradition that I spoke of, where there are four sets of people who prepare the way for the Lord. So the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and his family. The prophets, people like Isaiah, what we, what we just read. Uh, John the Baptist, and then next week, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, so John, this week, uh, is one of these people who, who helps us to prepare the way uh, for the Lord. And in what way uh, does he do that? So what can we learn from him? Uh, well, firstly, he's very worth paying attention to because Jesus gives him quite an unusual compliment. In, uh, this is in Matthew 11. He says of John, Truly I tell you, among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying, John's the very best person who, who has been born uh, so far. So there's quite a compliment to give to someone, right? So let, let's, let, let's see what, what we can learn from, from John the Baptist. We, we read from the Gospel of John, who is, of course, not the same John as John the Baptist. The, the Gospel uh, writer is John the Apostle, uh, who is writing about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had a, had a ministry on the shores of the River Jordan. And there he's calling people to baptize. This is the, the place, uh, uh, the current place where, where they, which they claim is that place. Uh, of course, we can't know for sure where it was, but this is on the shores of the Jordan uh, where, where John is said to have his, had his ministry. And in, in those times, uh, people who were baptized in, in the Jewish faith were Gentiles. So, uh, if you were a Gentile and you converted, you said, I want to become part of the people of Israel, then baptism was this ritual for you in which you were cleansed of your old ways and then you, uh, you were, the water made you new so that you could enter into the Jewish uh, way of life. But what's different, of course, about John's baptism is that he's not just baptizing Gentiles, he's baptizing Jews as well. And that's very unusual because that it doesn't fit sort of in the, in, in the, in the theology of, of that time. Um, so what happens is, on the one hand, he gets lots of attention, so he's very popular. So the crowds come, and they, uh, they, come, and, um, uh, they come to him. They, come, they, they receive his, this call to be baptized, and they come to him. But also, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem send priests and Levites to John to ask him, why are you doing this? Why are you doing things differently than we, than we know? Who are you? They had some ideas, as we will see. They had some ideas of who he might be, but he didn't fit neatly into any of their categories. So in the Jewish scriptures, uh, the Hebrews were expecting the arrival of perhaps at least three people. One of those people that they were expecting was the Messiah, of course, the, which means anointed one. Uh, the Messiah is the great king in the line of David who will come to free Israel, who will rule over the kingdom that will never end. And of course, that Messiah is not John the Baptist, but Jesus. Uh, and so John says, I am not the Messiah. The second person they were expecting was Elijah. Now, you could imagine why the Jews might think that John uh, was the Old Testament prophet Elijah, because there are a few similarities 
They're both slightly strange figures who live out in the wilderness. Uh, they're both said to have worn clothes made of hair, so quite, quite uncomfortable. And they both had these powerful prophetic ministries, ministries where people were called to repent. And, and what's more, the, the, the Old Testament prophet Malachi had said that Elijah would return before uh, the day of the Lord. So uh, Malachi writes, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So people were thinking in that time, Elijah will come back uh, and he will turn people's hearts back to God. That's really what that metaphor means, uh, turning, turning hearts back to each other. In other ways, uh, Elijah would come to lead us all to repentance ahead of God's return. So that fits in with uh, John the Baptist's ministry. And then this prophecy was coupled with the fact that there was this, this sort of tradition going around that Elijah wasn't dead. Because if you remember the story of Elijah, uh, his story ends when there's the, he gets taken up into heaven with his chariot. So people had a thought, well, perhaps Elijah's not dead and maybe this is him come back. Um, but to that question, whether he's Elijah, John says, uh, I am not. The third person that the Jewish people might be expecting to return was the prophet. And this probably refers to a tradition in Deuteronomy 18, uh, which says, uh, where, in which Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So that's again another prophecy that perhaps this prophet, a prophet like Moses, would come back and uh, would lead the people of Israel in the same impressive way in which Moses had done that. Verse 21, John answered, no. So that's very clear. He is not the Messiah, he is not uh, Elijah, and he is not uh, the prophet. Now, I wonder how good your Bible knowledge is and what other story you can think of in the Gospels in which the Messiah, Elijah, and the prophet feature. Who, who said that? Ah, Karen. Transfiguration. Very good. Very good. Because uh, there's this story... Uh, for, for, you, for, for those of you who may have forgotten about the transfiguration, that Jesus goes up on this high mountain with uh, his closest disciples, Peter, James and John, and there he's transfigured, so he, he's, he's made all glorious in front of their face. And then beside him appear Moses and Elijah, right? So there you have them, all three of them. You have Moses, Elijah and Jesus. And Moses, in that case, represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So together they are the law and the prophets, and together they are witnessing that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So, that's, it's, so it's, a, it's, a, it's not a strange sort of trinity for people to be thinking of when they're thinking about who John the Baptist might be. But he isn't any of these. So if he's not them, then who is he? John the Apostle tells us in the opening verses, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. So who, who is John? John is a witness. And the, the Greek word for witness is marturia, martyr, uh, uh, meaning a uh, witness. So a, a martyr, of course, in, in our understanding, is someone who gives up their life, life for, a, for a cause, for the right cause. They, 
They give up their life for what they believe in. And that tells us something about the risks, right, of being a, being a Christian in the, in the first century. It means that to be a witness was almost to have a kind of a death sentence pronounced over you. Uh, um, uh, if you were to say t- to someone today, I'm a witness for Jesus, and they said to you, oh, you're a martyr, then you would... Uh, and this is still true in many countries, of course, where people who witness are actually martyrs. But it's, it's a good reminder for us. Uh, of course, John the Baptist does end up being killed, as do most of the early disciples. A witness. So what kind of witness was John the Baptist? What does his witness teach us about our own witness? Well, it, it actually teaches us quite a lot, because the interesting thing about his witness is that he is both confident and humble. So John is confident because he has a very bold message that he preaches. He says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, repent and be baptized. He even goes as far as to call the religious leaders a brood of vipers. So uh, he, he isn't deterred by possible persecution or imprisonment. He's confident in his calling and he's confident in his message. He knows he must call both Jews and Gentiles to repentance, no matter uh, what the opposition is. But at the same time, he's also humble. As we saw, uh, John's ministry attracts a lot of attention. And he gets his own, he gets his own following of his own disciples. They were disciples uh, to John the Baptist. And he's successful. So you could imagine the temptation to make a name for himself. But when asked who he is... He doesn't claim to be some great hero of the faith. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet who, who, who has come to, to, to share God's word with you. Instead, he, this is what he, how he describes himself. He says, I am merely a voice of one calling in the wilderness. John says about himself, I'm, I'm just a voice. That's, that's really all I am. I'm here to call attention not to myself, but to God who is coming. And if you, if you look for it, Humility is everywhere in John the Baptist's life. You see, for example, that when Jesus comes to be baptized by John, John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. You see that when John's disciples find out that Jesus is starting a similar ministry, they come to John and they say, hey, oh, Jesus is now starting a ministry. Aren't you afraid that that might detract attention from you? And to, to which John then says... The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So what that means is it's not the role of the friend to detract attention from the bridegroom. Um, it's not the role of John to detract attention from Jesus. So if you, if you are ever at a wedding and, uh, and the bride and groom have walked down the aisle and then afterwards you come in going, yoo-hoo, then that, you, that's wrong, right? Because it's not, it's not about you, unless you're getting married, of course, but it's about the bridegroom. So he, he says, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. John's witness is filled with humility. He's constantly pointing away from himself and towards Jesus. So when you think about your own witness, whatever that looks like, how do you balance confidence with humility? 
I was recently uh, in a meeting of the Dutch Council of Churches, uh, and the question up for debate was the question of whether churches should speak out publicly uh, in media on, uh, on issues in public debate. Should, should the church speak out? Should they make statements about things? Some people at the table said, yes, we must stand up for the poor. We must stand up for justice. We must proclaim the gospel. But there were others who said, hang on, the church has got a lot to be ashamed about uh, in our past. Uh, we've got a lot wrong. We should be humble. We should be showing our love through our deeds, not through our words. So some people thought our approach needs to be confident, and other people thought our approach needs to be humble. So which, which one is right? I think that most of us naturally find it hard to hold those two things together. We tend to slide towards one of the extremes. Some of us are confident in our witness, but that's sometimes a confidence that boils over into a, a kind of an aggression. I'm going to share the gospel and people can take it or leave it. Uh, um, uh, a kind of a, sort of an aggressive confidence. And others are humble, but they're so humble that they're perhaps worried about causing offense or, uh, or they feel like they don't know what to say, so they, they'd rather say nothing. I think uh, a lot of us naturally through our personalities might veer to one of those extremes. I, 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 I find this an, an equally difficult thing to hold in balance, especially in the beginning of my ministry when, when I first started out. I felt the need to present myself as confidence, right? I'm the minister. I should have all the answers. I should uh, know what people need to hear when they come up with an impossible question to me. Uh, I have since uh, realized that I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm, I can see some people looking very surprised here. But I don't, I don't, have, I don't have all the answers. Um, and, uh, and I never will have the, old, uh, the answers. And a confident faith is not necessarily the same as having, having all the answers. The, uh, but that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean because you don't have all the answers that you don't have anything to say. The Apostle Peter says that we must always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us why we trust in God. So what's a good way of describing where that balance lies? I think it's something like this. Uh, we should be humble in our own ability, but confident in God's. Humble when it comes to the resources that we have to change someone else's heart, because that, that's ultimately what sharing the gospel is about. You're, we're engaged in the process of, of seeing someone else's life changed by God, but that's not something we can do ourselves. So we're humble when it comes to our resources about changing someone else's heart, but confident when we think about God's resources. So this Advent, as, as we join John the Baptist, uh, as we respond to his call to prepare our hearts for God's arrival, we too are sent out as witnesses uh, into the places where we live and work. And we do, we do so, on the one hand, we do it with humility, so we're not beating people over the head, but we're also not stressing ourselves out because, oh, what am I supposed to say? We do it with humility, um, but we also do it with confidence because we carry the good news of the gospel, a message which has the power to save lives, to change lives. So I'm going to end with the words that Zechariah speaks to his son, John the Baptist. Uh, that's from Luke 1. Uh, when uh, John the Baptist is born, his father Zechariah uh, uh, proclaims these words, and uh, we say them often in morning prayer, and they're known as the Benedictus. And these are words for, for us today as well. 
And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of all their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Shall we pray? Lord, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, as we prepare to welcome you in, I pray that you would be working in our hearts, that we, uh, in the busyness of life, that we would not be constantly distracted, but that we would find a time to prepare ourselves so that we would be ready. And Lord, we also take up the call of John the Baptist to be witnesses. Lord, if we are feeling confidence, then I pray that you would give us the humility that we need. And where we are feeling humble and perhaps scared or ill-equipped, I pray that you would give us the confidence that comes from your word and from your spirit. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.